morning we're going to read from Revelation chapter 1 which if you have got a church Bible is on page 1236 and if you need one they are at the back. The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. And so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was as white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. We give you great thanks for its richness. Its richness brought out in the way you've revealed yourself and the, and the descriptions and the use of uh, language that you've given us uh, and as we see this in this uh, magnificent 
uh, but challenge your book of Revelation. We ask now that you help us to put the effort in to reap the great rewards of knowing you better with greater clarity so we can live for you. Amen. Now, let me ask you a question. If you've got the outline there, the first uh, kind of intro point, how do you know what you know? How do you know things? There's all different types of ways about how you know things. But let me ask you specifically, what do you reckon is in my pocket here right now? In my left pocket. A ring? No, it's not, Daniel. It's not a ring, but that's a good guess. Why did, why did you guess that? Because of the Hobbit? Yeah, it could be a ring because of the Hobbit. And I could... Golf tee? Why did you guess that? Because <laughs> Jen knows something of me. She's had an es- a kind of an educated guess and I took them out. There was some in there. <laughs> uh, golf tee. Now, but what is actually in my pocket is a tablet. Huh? It's a tablet. The only way, ultimately, you could know, you could have a guess, you could have... And then you go to guessing what could possibly fit in there and, and all those sorts of things. You can know a bit about me to kind of send it in direction. But the only way that you actually knew that it was a tablet was when I pulled it out and showed you and revealed it to you. This is kind of where we're heading uh, in, a, in our book, Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus where Jesus himself is showing John who he is, what he wants him to know. He is giving the revelation. Without Jesus communicating it, John could not have in any way whatsoever come up with all the detail about God that's in Revelation. You may have been able to eventually guess a tablet with a bit of a fluke. John couldn't fluke Revelation. It needed to be revealed to him. And so what I kind of want us to do today is kind of appreciate the book and understand what type of book it is and what it's kind of about as chapter 1 kicks us off. And then over the next couple of weeks, uh, Peter Lockery is going to introduce us to one of the churches that um, is spoken about. And then the following week, I'm not going to be here, I'm going to Trinity Northeast and going to let them know about Trinity Grove. Um, And and Stephen George, uh, the pastor there, who sent us up here with Trinity Northeast, he's going to come up here and preach from Revelation, one of the churches here. And then for the final two weeks, I'm going to get stuck into those great chapters four and five. So, if we're going to get stuck into this book, and it's quite clear, even just from reading chapter one, and if you've read any of Revelation, hands up if you've read some of Revelation, just, as, just out of interest. We've all kind of been there, we all kind of know it's a little bit wacky, okay? We, we know that. So how do, you, how do you get your head around it? Well, what type of book is it? The first thing is it's a revelation. Chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ, who, gave, who God gave to show His servants was, what must soon take place. It's a revelation. It's actually an apocalyptic revelation. Revelation in the Greek word kind of goes, is apocalypsis, and how you pronounce that and all that. That type of revelation is a something that you couldn't know without being shown it. It's a revealing it to you, kind of a little bit like the tablet. And this revelation isn't just passing it on, 
It's God via an angel giving a message to John who writes it down so the servants of God know what's about to soon take place. And we know it's the revelation from Jesus. It's his message. It's a revelation. On your outline there, you can see that the way to describe it is that it's a symbolic vision. A symbolic vision that reveals a heavenly perspective on history in light of its final outcome. That is, what we get in Revelation is this picture that is full of deep and rich imagery. It's not the cat sitting on the mat as much as it is the cats and the dogs coming down in the rain and even far deeper than that. And it's a picture of something that is beyond us. The fancy word for it is kind of the transcendent. The, the, the beyond us and this, uh, this uh, physical reality we're in, it's the heavenly perspective. It's outside of us. The heavenly perspective on what's taken place in history in light of, and here's the important bit, the final outcome. A symbolic visions that reveal a heavenly perspective on history in light of a final outcome. Now that matters to us here because the final outcome is where we're going to be involved in because it's the final outcome. And so this book is speaking in grand and big ways about our destination. It's pictorial, it's symbolic language. We've seen, we've seen that already, like in, in uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. It, you can see how it's kind of picture images and symbolic language. It gets really, you know, there's lots of beasts and animals of all sorts of descriptions to help us understand this heavenly perspective in light of the final outcome. It's not literal. It's not literal in the sense of that is exactly what's happening. John's seeing a vision to depict the reality. And so if we're to understand Revelation properly, we need to have an appropriate use of symbols. See, symbols describe something our senses can't fully uh, capture. They're meaningful images drawn from the Old Testament. So, for example, uh, the song that we've sung today, uh, the theme of our sermon series, The Lion and the Lamb. Our God is a lion, our God is a lamb. No, it's not. But they're profoundly deep, rich, symbolic imagery to help us uh, to understand the extraordinary character, love and saving work of God to bring us to our final destination, which we'll see more and more. And so we need to see those images properly. One of the things we do as we look at uh, Revelation is there's, a, there's something that's really interesting to see throughout it is that when is, when is John hearing the vision and when is John seeing the vision? Like in verse 10, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. He heard it there. And then in verse 12, I turned around to see the voice was speaking to me. That gets more and more significant. What he sees and hears, and there's sometimes two different images that can't actually go together in reality, 
but they're depicting a beautiful picture for us. We need, see, the appropriate use of symbols is to understand how the Old Testament uses them. Like the Bible, the Bible uses numbers in really significant ways. And one very simple thing that's not kind of hard to understand or big to kind of get your head around is that the number seven, all through the Old Old Testament we see it and we see it really used here in really amazing ways throughout. The number seven means completeness, wholeness, unity, perfection, that idea seven so when we read in in verse four john to the seven churches in the province of asia john all of those churches it's kind of alluding to the fact that once this letter is written to these churches it's kind of to all the church and when we see revelation it's in sevens all the way through to point to the completeness that this is the whole revelation of jesus this is the whole way that god saves this is the whole end and that comes out more and more just by understanding that when there's seven, we see that in, in those illusions. But you can also have inappropriate use of symbols in Revelation. And history is just full of many, many inappropriate uses. I think there's one simple way to make sure you don't do that. Is to not see symbols and imagery as some kind of code that needs to be used to unlock uh, the Bible to unlock revelation like once you figure out this symbol and and all the allegories and how they all relate together you can unlock it's not a code breaking book it's not like what's that um there was a movie about it with benedict cumberbatch about that world war ii machine the what yeah imitation game what was the machine enigma the enigma machine revelation doesn't need some kind of code to break like an enigma machine and once you've got that you're sorted just needs to understand the revelation is all about Jesus and an appropriate use of how the imagery from the Old Testament is drawn, uh, drawn out by John. And so it's an amazing book of revelation. Gives us more about God than if it was just like God rules. Okay, I know God rules. Excellent. The whole point, one of the major things is God rules, that He's sovereign over all things. But with all this imagery, His total rule comes to life for us so that's the first one revelation it's apocalyptic and it's not uncommon uh, it's not like this is uh, uh, the first time we come across this the book of Daniel if you've read Daniel has all of that and we'll I'll mention that um, in a moment as well and and other books have a little bit of apocalyptic uh, literature in them in the Old Testament as well but it's not just apocalyptic look at verse 3 Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and are blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written because the time is near. It is a prophecy. And when we think about prophecy, I've given you here on on the outline what I think it is with a few words to fill in. It's God's word brought to his people by a chosen representative that communicates his character, his plans and his expectations. Let me say that again. God's word brought to his people by his chosen representative that communicates his character, his plans, and his expectations. That is, his expectations, what all of this knowledge you have about the revelation, what it requires of you, what response is needed. So, you know, at the basic level, 
Christianity, Jesus dies for you, you repent, you turn back to him and trust in him. That's the required response, to live for him. Prophecy requires a total dependence on the Old Testament. And we see that here in, um, in Revelation. I reckon, even to studying at this time, I reckon if I spent the whole year just studying Revelation, if I was doing a PhD or something on it, and I tried to find all of the allusions to the Old Testament and went into the depth of it, I wouldn't get to all of it. It's that rich. It's spectacular. But you can't really grab hold of it unless you see its reliance on the Old Testament. Have a look at verse 7. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. And then down in verse 12, someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet. Now you can try and kind of figure out what's going on there. But when you realize that actually John is seeing that this is fulfilling something that happens in uh, Daniel and Zechariah and other places... We've got a whole lot more to understand what's going on. See, when he says, look, he's coming with the clouds, in uh, Daniel 7, in a vision at night, he says, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. One like a son of man. Someone like a son of man in verse 13. And he's coming on the clouds. This one's coming on the clouds. This is an apocalyptic language in Daniel. And all of a sudden, what Daniel's talking about in the book of Daniel, about the rule of God and his authority and the one coming from God himself, the Ancient of Days, now is having meaning in Revelation. Without that, Revelation uh, chapter 1 verse 7 loses so much of its depth. Understanding what a lion is and why that's important to Israel will help us understand why God is described as the Lion of Judah. If you've read the book of Exodus, the lamb kind of plays a big part, doesn't it? And I'm very much looking forward to getting uh, to that to you a little bit later on. There's the root of David. We'll see a bit later as well. The root of David, how can I figure that out from the revelation uh, of John's... What's that got to do with anything? Well, if I knew in the Old Testament that David is a one of the key players, he's God's king who everything kind of flows through and the Messiah is going to come from this king's line, it starts to make more sense. I actually think we can see that John writing his prophecy and is actually, he's like the climax of all of that tradition. He's like the climax of this Old Testament prophecy as he brings it all together in this revelation of Jesus. We need an appropriate use when we talk about prophecy of the future. I don't know if you noticed when I described what prophecy is that it didn't have in it anything about the future. Because prophecy doesn't have to be about the future. It is God giving his words to his people. Often it's about the future. But not always, but that's not uh, demanded of it. Here in Revelation, it's future element is describing what's about to take place this end time where God's going to bring everything together and then the vision of the final picture that we need to see 
And so as we think about the future, and this is without a doubt, where things get complex and where sometimes we can have slight nuances and it's fine and agree, but history is littered with an inappropriate use of, of the future uh, and revelation. And I think when we use it inappropriately, it's when we try and read Revelation and see where each kind of imagery is relating to our time right now, when we try and do that. I don't know if you've ever heard people do that um, and, and come across that, but if you trace it through history, you can find every, probably every decade, never mind every century, where you can see someone's talking about it's this empire, it's this empire, it's this empire, it's this empire. We can always make it about our time now, very easily. But maybe that's not how op- Revelation actually is operating and that its bigger picture has uh, got to do with our last section on what the book's like and also the end. Of course, it's got a future element, but when we jump very quickly to, well, this is talking about this, uh, uh, this beast or this return, this must be this bad person today, we need to just stop and pause and, and think that through because I don't think that that's how the, actually the book's structured. I accidentally stumbled on on YouTube as I was looking at something else, how it's very clear that the new president of the US and his relationship to uh, Revelation, that's just nonsense and stupid, <laughs> to go straight there without understanding what the Revelation's about, understanding how prophecy works in the Old Testament and without understanding the third type of style that this book is. It's a letter and that's really important. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4, it is a letter to the seven churches in the province of Asia. It is a circular letter. It is a letter written to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. These are real places in first century uh, history after Jesus uh, had ascended to heaven. Here we have places that have churches that God is giving John to send this picture of his plan to. To the seven churches in the province of Asia. That is... What we need to understand about that is that its meaning for us must be anchored in John's meaning for them. Because the letter is written to them, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And we see that as we get next week uh, when we look at the church of Ephesus. And then the week after when we look at the church of Thyatira. We see how it's grounded in what was happening then. And so an appropriate use of Revelation is to understand the first century context. That Rome ruled. It had the power. That when lots of the prophecies are talking about taking down Rome, uh, to, uh, taking down powers, the current power that they're facing, even if there's bigger powers beyond that and even into Satan, and be, uh, Satan Rome is the current context. Rome was full of its might. Rome was glorious. Rome had idol after idol surrounding uh, everywhere and that's what God's people were living in. It's important to understand and see that. 
Because if we understand that and we see that the church is facing persecution, and here we've got a letter which talks about the glory of God and His sovereignty and that God is going to bring everything to end, those people that are facing persecution, these seven churches, that everything seems hopeless because Rome rules so powerfully, they can persevere. We also need to understand, well, obviously, the Jewish context, that first century Jewish context that helps us understand as we see all the Old Testament brought into the Revelation, we get a greater picture of how fantastic it is. And so, an inappropriate use of this letter is if we just bypass that. We just don't worry about that it was written to those churches and into that time and we just say speaking directly to us right now. To the church of Trinity Grove. That's it. And this is all, we don't need to do any figuring out what it meant for them. It means everything for us right now. We can train. That would be unwise. Because as we see it applied to them, we can see that it actually is applied to every church through every generation, to the seven churches. We can see how the persecutions they face in our time can look very uh, different but have one core similarity, people hating God and his people having to deal with that. See, we can lose uh, letters today inappropriately. If you were to pull out a letter, um, if you just say you found a letter uh, of, uh, of your, um, uh, say, I don't know, your uh, grandparents and it was from your grandfather to your grandmother and they, and they wrote this beautiful love letter to them and you took all those words to mean that that's what they were saying to you and how they love and care, care for you, that would be an inappropriate use of that letter, wouldn't it? It wasn't directed towards you. But looking back on that, you can see how you can learn so much from them and what they were like and how much they cared for the whole family and what it meant, uh, what he, uh, his wife meant to him. There was lots to be gained out of it, but it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't for you to just take on board yourself. We need to understand the appropriate use of the letter. So it's a revelation, it's a prophecy, and it's a letter. What is it about? Well, let, let's, uh, let's conclude uh, with three things that Revelation is about, uh, that we see in chapter 1. See, first of all, what we see in chapter 1 is Jesus, uh, is, is this revelation is coming to John, it's a vision that he sees, it's to the seven churches, there's all these great declarations of uh, who, who God is, what he's done, he should be praised... And then John gets the vision in verse, in verse 9 and, he, fought, and he, he sees it, he hears it, he sees this son of man and all the description of him and it's so spectacular, I fell at his feet as though dead. It was so overwhelming, God is so overwhelmingly magnificent, the kind of response to this vision is just, he just fell over as if he was dead. But at that moment of being dead, so to speak, his right hand was on him and words of comfort came. 
do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive. That is the picture that kicks off this whole revelation. What is it about? Well, first and foremost, if we're to understand revelation, we see it's all about God. It's not about us. It's not about you and I. We don't read and think, what do I get out of this? Or how is it about me? It is primarily about God. And Revelation really has a real Trinitarian uh, distinctive nature to it. Have a look at verses uh, 4 and 5. When the letter, it's, when it's addressed as a letter to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and was and who is to come, God. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And we won't go into it now, but the seven spirits is a way of referring to God as spirit, the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Pointing out that God is one God, three persons. Right from the get-go, we have this picture of God and his Trinitarian ways. It's all about him. And it's all about his sovereignty, his rule, his magnificent power. And there are three verses, there are three phrases that come up in Revelation a few times, which kind of say the same thing, and they've just kind of nuanced a little bit. Verse uh, 8, A, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's Greek beginning and end. Verse 8, B, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then John, uh, and then uh, Jesus himself says, I am the first and the last. In chapter 17, verse C. All of these pick God as one who is the origin of all things. I'm the Alpha. I am the origin. I am the Omega. I am where everything heads towards. I am that sovereign. I am who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This kind of I am idea that even comes back all the way to the Exodus where God says, I am who I am. Here he is, the Lord Almighty. And Jesus. He says, I am the first and the last, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, I am, here I am. There is nothing else. God is sovereign. If we get anything out of our time in Revelation, this year, in the first five chapters, and next year as we uh, go into the, uh, the rest of it, we see God is sovereign and we respond to Him. And, as sovereign, He is victorious. And we see even a little hint and snippet of that in chapter 1. We see in, uh, in verse 5, the, the end bit of verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. Jesus loves us. His love frees us. That assumes we're captives. Frees us by blood, we enter the Lamb in a couple of weeks, and has made us to be a kingdom of priests. That is, we're being made to be part of God's rule to serve. That's our end point. That is the victory. This is not something that might happen, this is what happens. And so you get, He's coming in the clouds in, in verse 7. Then after that, He's the Alpha and Omega. It's going to happen because He's the beginning and the end. 
It's a beautiful picture. God's victory. So how is revelation then your revelation? If you put in the work to revelation, you'll see how it helps you persevere to the end. How it's a book that you're not supposed to get caught up on the trivia while it's fun to do and and has some benefits. It's a book that's supposed to help you see God and his spectacular, mighty power and his ability to take you with him into glory forever. It's the church's final destination. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, here is your final destination with me, worshipping me, in perfect harmony with me, with no pain and suffering as the whole book ends. This is where you go. The book shows us where the church, where our church, Trinity Grove, gets off the plane. It tells us what that destination is. The new Jerusalem with Jesus. It tells us how we get there through the blood of the Lamb and the conquering Lion of Judah. And it tells us what for. For His sake, for His glory. That is why this is such a spectacular book. So let me finish with one final question. Is it your destination? Revelation is worth you pursuing if you're not sure. Because Revelation is saying there's love that comes from the one who's revealing himself, Jesus. There is blood, which is his blood, so that you can be with him. And there's a kingdom, which you're either a part of or you're cast out of. Are you with him in worship or reject his worship? Are you one who conquers in what we see in Revelation in a very different way to the way the world tries to conquer? Or are you cast aside because you give the lion and the lamb none of your time? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks uh, for this spectacular book. Help us to see you, to see your mighty power. Help us to see the end is for your sake, in which you so wonderfully include us in. Father, we do pray, as your church here in Golden Grove, we will make the book of Revelation what we long for to be our final destination. We thank you for the lion and the lamb. Amen.